Hello, Abundant Life Church. It is so good to be with you today. As Aaron said, my name is Grant Hickman, and and I'm a pastor in the area. I'm also a dad and a husband, and and I just love the Pacific Northwest, specifically the the church in the Pacific Northwest. And you know, I'm not originally from this area like so many of us, and, and I grew up in Texas. My wife grew up in Maui, Hawaii, and so we like to joke that we split the difference of our families by living here. And part of the reason we love the Pacific Northwest West so much is I think we're the only couple in the world that got married in Maui, Hawaii and honeymooned at Cannon Beach. And that was just over 12 years ago. And we just tried to get back as fast as we could. And so thanks for having me. It's good to be with you as we kick off this festive Christmas season. You know, Christmas is such a fun time of year. And I know there's sort of two camps that people fall into. There's those of you that, that you've been celebrating Christmas for, for like months now, like Halloween ended and you picked right up and started celebrating Christmas. There's others of us that we're Christmas compartmentalizers. We, we give it its entire due in its month, month, but we also don't want to ignore Thanksgiving in the middle. And so I'm one of those that's that way. I know Dustin out and Sandy, he feels very passionately about this and he and I are kindred spirits in that. that, that Christmas is a fun time of year, right? It's filled with all sorts of, of hope and joy and and laughter, and cheer, and, and man, the music, right? The music, well, what would Christmas be without its music? Whether it's some of the classics, like it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, or the little drummer boy, which I've never really understood how much of the, a Christmas song that is, but anyway, this is the only time of year we hear it, or, or I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus, or that time of year where, where uh, we actually like pay attention to what Mariah Carey is saying and doing, as all I want for Christmas is you. But then there's also the carols. The carols that we grew up on and we're all familiar with, Oh, Holy Night, Silent Night, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing, which is a unique song because no other time of the year would you use the word hark. It wouldn't make sense except at Christmas time and in that song. And then there's the song, Joy to the World. And not the three-dog night version about the bullfrog, but, but the Christmas carol. The Christmas carol, come, right, right, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Heaven and nature sing. It's that song that the teaching team really led this for this series by Bob Tim and Aaron Walton. So huge thanks to them for, for kind of crafting this and putting the heavy lifting together. It's that where they said, hey, let every heart. Let that be the desire of us this Christmas season, that everybody that, that calls Abundant Life home or your friends and your neighbors around you, that, that they would just lean in and let every heart connect to Jesus. Connect to who he is and, and what he's done for us, that we're, we're connecting not only to him, but to something bigger than us. And so what we want to do is, is frame this series also within something that reminds us that, that, uh, that the church is bigger than just abundant life. That the church is more historical than just this local manifestation of the bride of Jesus. That the church has been going on for centuries, and that right now around the world, we are collectively leaning in to what's called Advent. Advent simply means the arrival or coming of something. It's this moment where, where if you read a lot of scripture, they're looking at from the past into the future and going, we are hoping and waiting for the advent, the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our rescuer. 
uh, for us today, we're on the other side of that event. So we get to look back and say, yes, and we, we celebrate the advent that was when Jesus came as a baby. But because we get to live right now in the middle, we have the, the privilege and the opportunity to look back and celebrate the advent that was with the hope of looking forward to the advent that will be when Jesus returns. Traditionally, Advent centers around four words of hope, peace, joy, and love. And so we're going to do sermons that are based around the themes of those four words over the next four weeks leading up to Christmas. Today, we're looking at the word of hope. Hope. That's why I've titled this sermon, Let Every Heart Have Hope. And we could use a lot of that in our world today. With everything that's going on, I would love if every heart had a little more hope. And what is a more hopeful season than Christmas? All the joy and the laughter and the anticipation of what's to come. Whether it's in the decorating, right? That you wake up again the day after Thanksgiving and, and you're ready to decorate your home. And so you go and you pull all of the boxes down. You, you get them and it's the lights and the garland and the music that comes in and the ornaments. And if you're in my household, then, then each one of my kids has a, a little tin that their personal ornaments go into. And we tell them to always be careful because some are fragile. And yet, nevertheless, this year, one of my daughters was so excited because she remembered that she had a snow globe in her tin that she grabbed it and she began to shake it with excitement and you guessed it the snow globe shattered and so now that hope was dashed for her of getting to play with it but there's still the anticipation and the build-up but then after you decorate there's the build-up to Christmas day right that moment where you go to sleep on Christmas Eve and you are having excitement as a child of what's going to come the next morning is Santa going to come down the chimney and eat the milk and the cookies that was left out? Are you going to hear the reindeer land on your roof? You can barely sleep with so much excitement and anticipation of the gift that you asked for and you wrote the letter and you're hoping to get it and it all builds up and builds up. And then what if Christmas never came? What if Christmas never came? Could you, could you hold on to hope year after year after year? If there was this constant tension of building up for something that seemed to never deliver. Do you think you could hold your chin up, that you could continue to stay positive? See, I would venture to say that, that, that most of us would begin to lose hope if that was the case. And that's what we see in the story we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 1. But before we get to the little eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus that we all love, we've got to back up a little bit before that, about a year, and be introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, but even then, to really understand their story, we've got to go even further back and understand a little bit about Jewish culture. You see, in, in Jewish culture at the time, if you were a young boy or a young girl, then, then you would go to school. And, and while you were at school as a, as a young boy or girl, you would memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. And as you memorized those, you would begin to learn some things about your faith. You would begin to expectantly hope for a rescuer. A rescuer that was going to come to your people. This rescuer was going to be born of a woman from the tribe of Judah. This rescuer would come from the line of Abraham and would eventually save you from all of the evil that you face every single day. Now, if you made it through that, that first school, memorizing those five, first five books of the Old Testament, and you were a boy, and you were kind of the top of your class, then you would then move on to, say, like junior high or high school after that, where you would then go on to memorize the rest of the Old Testament. 
And as you memorize the rest of the Old Testament, you would begin to learn that this rescuer you learned about has a title and that title is Messiah. And that all of the Old Testament points to the Messiah. This Messiah would come from the line of David, that they would, he would come and establish his kingdom once again. He would be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He would save you from the oppressive government that you face. And this Messiah would be preceded by a new Elijah. Now, you don't need to know all of that background or even remember all of that in order to, to learn about hope today and to have hope begin to creep into your life. But I share that with you because Zechariah, who we're going to meet, he understood all of that. He knew it because he was not only the best of the best from, from his young age, but then that, that high school time where he memorized the entire Old Testament, he then was, had to have been at the top of his class because he became a priest which means he dedicated his entire life vocationally to serving God. And as a priest, there was be a different duties that you did throughout the year. And one of those is that from time to time, your sort of group, you could maybe even think of it like a cohort of priests would go to Jerusalem to serve in the temple. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter one, starting in verse five. During the reign of Herod, king of Judah, there lived a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And he had a wife named Elizabeth, who was a descendant of Aaron. They were both righteous in the sight of God, following all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. But they did not have a child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both very old. The scripture there actually says that they were both advanced in age. Now, while Zechariah was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the holy place of the Lord and burn incense. Now, the whole crowd of people were praying outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of the incense, appeared to him. And Zechariah, visibly shaken when he saw the angel, was seized with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You will name him John. And so here's Zechariah. He's served his entire life as a priest. He's gone with his cohort up there. And, and by the time they get to the temple, you see there are only so many jobs that you could do. And so they would cast lots for them. You can think of that like, like rolling dice or, or maybe like drawing straws to see what job somebody got. Personally, I like to think that they were playing rock, paper, scissors, right? And I just, in my mind, see a bunch of priests outside the temple in their priestly garb and their tall, funny hats and all the accoutrements that were there. And they're all just standing out there going, rock, knife, scroll, rock, knife, scroll, rock, knife, scroll, right? At least that's the way it looks in, in my world, right? And so Zechariah, he, he gets to go in. He gets the best job. He gets to go into the holiest place in all of the temple and burn the incense. This was such a desired job that once a priest did it one time, they weren't allowed to do it the rest of their service. So put yourself in the shoes of Zechariah for a minute. You've dedicated your entire life to God. You've been serving him faithfully for years and you've been serving him so long that you're of the, I remember when TV didn't exist age and you've never gotten to go into the holy of holies. 
which means you remember the stories of the people that have gone before you, that have gone in and burned the incense and that have come out. And so you go in knowing what to expect. You think you know what's going to happen. And you know that God has been silent for 400 years. No one has heard from him or heard from the angel of the Lord. And you walk in and there's an angel on the right-hand side of the altar. This <laughs> is that moment where you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh no, I wasn't expecting that. Like, like no, nobody told me that this was going here. You would understandably be afraid because you weren't prepared for this. And the angel of the Lord speaks and calms him down. And so now add to it that not only is this an unprecedented time that, that he did, did not know what to expect, but now when the angel begins to speak, he says that you're going to get a son. You're going to have a child. That thing that he was hoping and praying and wishing for for decade after decade after decade. The amount of tears and prayers that had gone in to wanting to have a child. There's a good chance that at this point in his life, that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth had both given up hope or at least begin to lose hope of ever having a child. Because as the scripture said, they're both now of the more vintage variety. And we, we all know that as you get older, things don't work better. They tend to not work as well. And so now he's getting faced with this unexpected news by an unexpected angel. And it's good news. And you can almost feel it in the text. Like this is the moment where hope begins to creep Hope begins to creep into his life again. But if you're going to have hope creep in, you have to be open to it. Which I think begs the question of us. Where are you at in the hope of your life right now? Let's be honest. It's been a hard year. Things have not gone as we thought they were going to go. And they've not gone that way in, in our church. They've not gone that way in our culture. They've not gone that way around the world. Have you lost hope? Are you losing hope? Are you beginning to feel like you're giving up? Giving up on God or your church or the people or maybe even just giving up on yourself. Giving up on ever having kids, having, ever having the job turn around for you. Giving up on, on your marriage ever thriving again. Giving up on ever having a marriage. Giving up on getting out of the hole that you dug for yourself or the hole that someone else dug and threw you into. Maybe you feel that kind of external pressure right now of hope being lost, but maybe it's not external, maybe it's internal. Maybe it's the anxiety and the depression and the pain that we know so many of us carry in life. That in this time of year is, is our vitamin D goes down and as COVID is spiking, that we just feel the overwhelming nature of the world around us. And so we cut ourselves just to know that we can feel something. Are you losing hope and feeling like giving up? If you find yourself there, then come to the place of Zechariah and let hope begin to creep in. Let hope creep in today. Let every heart have hope. Cling to the hope of God. Cling on to him tightly like your life depended on it because it does. And know that God loves you and that he sees you, that he has not forgotten you, that you are not being punished, that life is hard right now, but he is showing up in the middle of it and doing things that you never could have expected. And it may not even be what you expected or could guess or predict, but God is working even if we don't fully understand how or why. Let hope creep in. 
But here's what I know. I know that's so much easier to say than actually do. Because we all lose hope. We all lose hope, though, I think, because we confuse hope. We confuse what hope is. You see, hope so often for us, we define it as wishful thinking, and hope is not wishful thinking. Let me kind of unpack that for us. Let's, let's go back to Christmas morning. If you think about Christmas morning, right, and the anticipation of the present that you're going to open and, and the joy that's going to come, and, and as you're just excited about it and you've been losing sleep, like, like we call that hope, but it's not really hope. It's wishful thinking. It's an optimistic outlook on the future because there's no guarantee that I'm going to wake up the next day and have the thing that I was hoping to get. Oh, I can put all the hints out there that I want, right? Right? I, I could go and be like, man, I really hope that I get that new Hot Wheels set that's coming off the shelves that, that, that nobody else can seem to find. Like, I hope I get that. Or, or, or man, I really, really want that, that cooler that I've been eyeing online that, that I can carry around. Or gosh, I would love to get that dollhouse that, that could go with the doll that I got last year at my birthday. I want to get that dollhouse. Or, ooh, no, maybe I want that Yeti cooler, the black one that, that's online that I bookmarked on my page. Or no, 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 I can't wait to get the bicycle that's going to fit me just the right way. No, no, I want that Yeti cooler, the black one I put online in the page that I can wear like a backpack. Sweetheart, are you listening to this? I hope so, right? Like we can drop hints all that we want about the things that we want, but, but that's just wishful thinking. It's not hope. Now, that's not bad because our attitude absolutely matters. The problem with, with confusing wishful thinking with hope is that even if we get the thing that we want, it doesn't ever satisfy. Oh, it satisfies for the moment and, and maybe for a short amount of time, but very quickly we move on to the next holiday, the next event, or the next thing that we want. You see, we lose hope because we confuse hope with wishful thinking. Hope is actually expectant believing. Hope is expectant believing. That Christmas does come every single year. That that can be counted on. That we don't have to be let down. That we can look at the joy and the lights and the laughter and that we can prepare for it. That hope is coming. Better yet, hope isn't coming. Hope has come in Jesus. And so when I ground my hope in Jesus, that is hope. Because it is an expectant outcome that Jesus sees me and knows me and loves me and is there for me and has my best interest at heart. That is a hope that I can cling onto and hold onto, but I can't confuse hope with wishful thinking or I begin to lose it. And that's exactly what happened to Zechariah. You said Zechariah is given the kind of hope that is grounded in God. And he knows everything that is meant and everything that's going to go on when God shows up. Like, like he's able to have the perspective to go, well, wait a minute, I'm standing in a unique place in history. That, that here I am several thousand years after the covenant of Noah and the ark, 21,000 centuries after Abraham and Sarah and the covenant with them, um, 13 centuries after Moses came out of Egypt with the Israelites, 1,100 years after Ruth and the book of Judges, 1,000 years after David ruled who this Messiah is going to come in the lineage of in the 65th week of Daniel's prophecy in the 194th Olympiad, 752 years of the foundation of Rome. Hope is creeping in and it is happening and it is not wishful thinking. It is becoming expectant believing. But that's a lot of time for the people of Israel and for Zechariah to lose hope. And we'll see in the text here that he's begun to lose hope. 
in verse 14, the angel goes on to explain who his son's gonna be. He says, joy and gladness will come to you and many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He, he must never drink strong wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his death. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go as a forerunner before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared for him. You see, this is the moment where all of those things of history begin to line up and Zechariah knew it. Zechariah was able to connect the dots and go, whoa, God is doing something. I feel hope coming in, but he's had all that time to lose hope. And here's what he says in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? For I'm an old man and my wife is old as well. You can see here that he's losing hope. Again, I don't blame him for that. I, I'm tempted and feel that all the time. And, and he's looking at he and his wife and he's like, whoa, angel, I don't think you know who you're talking to. We old. And, and fellas, if you're ever gonna call your wife old, you better only do it when you're talking to an angel of the Lord, okay? That's the only time that that's okay. But Zechariah here is just going, man, I, I'm, I'm just feeling like I'm losing hope. But here's the thing. Hope is coming. It's on the horizon. It's just not coming in the way that he expects it. Hope is coming in. It may be a far way off, but it's beginning to creep in here. And Zechariah, because he loses hope, things get a little bit harder for him. And the angel of the Lord says, hey, because of this, I'm going to make you mute for the entire time of the pregnancy. Right, which I just think is a reminder to us that, that sometimes in the midst of the difficulty of life, when we lose hope, that, that what we do, the attitude that we have around that, that can make life harder. That when we lose hope, when we're not willing to say, God, I'm gonna trust you in the midst of the hard things, that life gets harder in those moments. And Zechariah knows that and he begins to go forward and he loses his speech. He's put in a hard place, but in that hard place is when he begins to hope again. It's in that moment that, that God begins to creep in, not just quietly, but loudly. The way that God comes into your life and, and speaks hope to you is unique to every single one of us. But, but maybe we need to just take a step back in the midst of our hard places and go, wait, 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 I've been confusing it with wishful thinking. I'm gonna cling again to the hope of God, even if it happens in a way that I wouldn't have dreamed or imagined. In fact, if we go to the end of the story here, if we go down to verse 57, oh, what happens in verse 57 is we see this. Now the time came for Elizabeth to have her baby. She gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother replied, no, no, he must be named John. And they said to her, but, but none of your relatives bear that name. So they made signs to the baby's father inquiring that he wanted what he wanted to name his son. He asked for a writing tablet and he wrote down, his name is John. And they were amazed. Immediately, Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue was released and he spoke blessings of God. 
All of their neighbors were filled with fear throughout the entire hill country of Judea and all the things that were talked about. And all who heard these things kept them in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the Lord's hand was indeed on him. You see, what we see with Zechariah is he goes from losing hope to gaining hope again. He, he goes from this moment of, of, I don't know that this is true, to doing something crazy and countercultural and not naming his son after him, but trusting God that he would name him John. And what we see, because we can read the rest of the story, that all of the prophecy that was given about who John would be comes true. He fulfills it 100% because when God says something it to you and into your heart and into your soul and what he will do for you. It is not wishful thinking. It is expectant believing that is hope and hope of God always comes through. Which begs the question, which begs the question of all of us, who or what is your hope grounded in? Who or what is your hope grounded in? Is it grounded in the circumstances around you changing? Is it grounded in the diagnosis going away, in the economy turning, in the vaccine coming, and getting the government bailout? Is, is your hope grounded in your ability to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make life better? If that's what your hope is in, then that's really just wishful thinking and optimistic outlook, but it still leaves you unsure. But if instead, if instead you ground hope in God, if you ground hope in God like Zechariah did, who was willing to step back and go, I know I have all of this history where I've been anticipating something and it's not coming. He's still looking to the future advent, 400 years of silence, the barren womb of his wife, all of these things. And God shows up in an unexpected way. He then begins to go, that's right. I'm grounding my hope in God, not in anything else. God can come through for you. He's done it in his death and his resurrection. Oh, he may not come through in the way that you expect. No, we don't need to get into the false dichotomy of prescribing things to God or telling him how he should do it because <laughs> to be honest, that rarely ever works. But if God has dealt with death, through his son, Jesus, on the cross, and then him rising from the dead, conquering sin once and for all. If he can deal with that, then there is no doubt in my mind that he can reach into your life right now and give you hope. In the midst of the doubt and the insecurity of the time, God can whisper to you. In fact, I think it's in those moments when things are the darkest is often when God shows up and begins to scream the loudest. And if you've grounded your hope in God, then that means that hope becomes shatterproof. It's not like my, my daughter's snow globe that she was so excited about and hoping to play with that then shatters. No, it is shatterproof. There is nothing in this world that can happen to you or to me that can shake the foundations of my world so much that it becomes hopeless because I've put my hope not in the circumstances of life around me, but into a God that always comes through, the God of the universe that saved us. So when the unexpected happens, I can say, hey, no, that's okay. Yep, it rocked the boat, but I can stay steady because my hope was never in the things around me. That was wishful thinking. My hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone. My hope is right up in God and God alone. Hope is something bigger than me and my world around me because it's grounded in God and that makes my life shatterproof. So I can walk around with my chin held high. Not with optimism, but with a deep core convicting 
And the thing about that kind of hope, well, that hope is contagious. That hope is contagious. And I know maybe I shouldn't use that word right now. But, but, but think about it this way. What if I have the antidote? What if simply by, by being in, in my presence and being around me for 15 minutes in a 24-hour period and with less than six feet distance and no masks around me, that, that all of a sudden I have the antidote that, that could save you, then that, that's the kind of contagious that I want. Like, like I want to have that for other people. And if you have the hope of Jesus, then you've got that in you. Like You have the ability to go out and be hope and spread hope like wildfire around our communities and around our friends friends and our neighbors as we are the ones that can go, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me bring the hope of the world to you. I want every heart to have hope. And so how can I be contagious? That's what we see in the story. If you see there at the end, there's this question that's asked. They look at John because they've seen the hope that Zechariah had where he could then speak again. And they say, what will the child turn out to be? What will this child turn out to be? That's a question of hope. That's a question of going, we don't understand everything that's going on right now, but we see that God is at work. And so we are with anticipation looking forward to what he will do. You see, when every heart has hope that is grounded in God, becomes the kind of thing that no matter what's going on in life, we can stay steady through it. And that is attractive to people to come and say, what is it about you? What is it about you that is causing you to have hope in the midst of hard times? And that's when we get to say his name is Jesus. So let's not lose hope. May every heart have hope this Christmas season. Let's pray together. Father, we just come before you and I thank you for Abundant Life Church. God, I thank you for the faithful men and women that have seen this church through so many seasons and so many times and that their hope has always been grounded in Jesus. Spirit, would you just speak into our lives in areas where we're grounding our hope in things other than you? Would you awaken that in us and then would you allow us to have the humility to lay those things down and to hope in you, the God who has saved us. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray these things. Amen.